I got to retell the story of my life and history in a different way that made a lot more sense to me than the version that I had been carrying around for the last 52 years. Welcome to Building Doors. In this series, you'll develop the skills to build a roadmap for success, get inspired by those leaders who have come before you, and give you the confidence to stop waiting and start building. Sarah Harrop is a visionary leader with a diverse career, from managing a homeless shelter to becoming a transformative CEO. Her journey showcases resilience and an unwavering commitment to helping others. Sarah works with people and organizations to gain deep insights about who they are and how they can reach their potential. She's held board and executive roles in for-purpose, private, and ASX companies. Sarah's lived the many complexities, nuances, and challenges involved in leading organizations and has been supporting C-suite and senior executives as an executive coach since 2014. I wanted to get Sarah in to have a chat to her around her perspective on what we as individuals can be doing to make the most of our potential as leaders. And I wanted to gain some deep insights into what running a homeless shelter has taught her in the boardroom. In this episode, you'll learn more around how you can champion empathy and emotional intelligence into your own life and your leadership. You'll also walk away with a fresh approach on how you can redefine success and the power your own compassion can have in creating a purposeful impact in the world. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I know we've been chatting a little you make, bit. You make me sound so good. You are so good. That's why. It's all true. I wanted to get you in to have a real chat with you. I love what you've been posting on socials. And when we were talking before, that's led to a lot of advisory work with you. And I'm not surprised because it's very authentic. And that stands out, that authenticity and just learning more around you. So I was really keen to get you in. First question I need to ask, how does one go from running a homeless shelter <laughs> to getting into C-suite positions and a board. Tell us about that journey for you. Gosh, I don't, I don't even, do I know? Do I know how that <laughs> happened? Um, so my first board role was actually because I had my third child and I was a bit bored. Yep. And I thought I need something else to do. Mm. So got a board role. <laughs> You do. Uh, unpaid, yeah, yeah, yeah. unpaid, yeah. right? And it was actually that board role that it led me into the CEO role at the homeless shelter. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then I think it just grew from there. Like mm. just I've never been driven by, I guess, status or position title, but I've always been driven by what interests me. Like, mm. And I'm a high variety seeking individual. Mm. So it was really just around what else can I do? Yeah. So I think a lot of it has been the early board roles were probably through connections. Mm. The board roles that have come since then have been hard won and just absolutely mm. stepping up again and again and again and applying and getting really good at applying. And then you sort of start to get a bit of a critical momentum going. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd follow my nose in terms of what interests me and have become really clear about what I'm good at, mm. what I can contribute and what kind of environments are going to bring out the mm. best in me mm. and what environments will not. 
I love what you said before. We were just chatting before the podcast and you told me a story about you'd been asked to do some advisory work and, yeah. and you hadn't done it before, but you were honest. Said, yeah. Look, I haven't done a lot of that before, but I'm going to figure it out. Mm. Has that been an approach of yours? Because it's you said you're continuously stepping up along the way. Are you quite comfortable with just figuring it out if you don't know it? Uh, for the most part, mm. yes. So I'm very clear on what's within my scope of expertise, yeah. what's sitting on the edges of it <laughs> and what's outside of it. Yeah. So if someone asks me to do something that's outside of my scope, then I'll always be really clear, yeah. like, that's not my jam and you could probably find somebody who's really expert in that to do that for you. Sometimes the interesting thing that happens with that is that I guess the feedback that I get from people mm. is that based on the conversations that I've had with them, mm. they go, but you get it. You understand us. Mm. And so that sometimes what that leads to is, well, could you do a broad piece of work with us, but could you help us co-opt other experts in at the right time yeah. and you continue to kind of maintain the theme of what you're doing with us here and help bring it all together? Yeah. So that's actually been working quite well Yes. Um, because I can still make sure I'm not playing in spaces where I'm not technically expert and then I get to learn too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When you spoke at the start, one of the things you talked about that intrigued me, because I think a lot of people don't know this, you said you follow, you know mm. what is good for you yes. and you know what's not. Tell us more about how you uncovered that for yourself. Oh, through my bad experiences. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lesson. I always say when something bad happens, what's the lesson in this? And yeah. look, I, I think I've got a sense that you're either, we're never static, we're either getting better and, you know, moving towards improving mm. and moving towards being the best version of ourselves we can be or we're moving away from it. Mm. And so it's often when when I've been in situations where I recognised this is not bringing out the best in me, there mm. are bits of me like popping out that I don't like. Mm. What is it about this situation that's not bringing out my best self? Mm. And then working out... Is there something I can do to change that? Mm. And sometimes that's meant, no, Sarah, just by being you, this is going to, you're not a good fit. Yeah. 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 And I guess with age, you also come to the point where you're very clear on what you can change about yourself and mm. what you're prepared to change. Mm. And also when you're actually going to go, you know what, those qualities about me, I like them and I'm not changing them. Yes. Yeah, right? you know, owning and knowing yourself as well yeah. and what you're willing to work on and mm. what you're like, well, that's actually part of my core values. That's yeah. actually my personality and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And that means I'm not going to work here. Mm. What's the toughest lesson career-wise that you think you've learned? And you don't have to talk mm. about specifics, but in terms of names and things like that, understand confidentiality on that side of things. But what do you think the toughest lesson from it? Because you talked about having those lessons. Mm. What's something tough that you've had to overcome in your career? Hmm. I think probably, oh, see, there's been so many. Uh, <laughs> there's been so many. Um, you can I, tell us more than yeah, one. We've got at least 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think one of the really tough ones, I think it always comes down to the tough stuff often happens in the relationship side of things. Mm. So it's often not the environment. If I think about tough 
environments I've worked in, well, the homeless shelter was one of them. Yeah. Not the overly, uh, most overly safe mm. place to be sometimes. And managing fear was part, a good lesson that I learned, but I don't necessarily look at that and go, that was tough. Yeah. Organisations I worked for where, you know, money was perhaps tight never impacted me. So for me, the tough lessons are always around the relationship space Mm. and they usually relate to, so for me, my number one value is independence of thought, that Mm. I need to be able to think independently Mm. and have a voice about what I think. Mm. And so some of the tough lessons have been, so I was in one role where I was reporting to someone who was a bully, let's call it what it is. And I felt quite trapped because they had essentially control over my role. And I had to actually, I had a lot of exec coaching actually to help move through it. And I actually had to get to a point where I was prepared to push back Mm. on it and then move to a point of, look, I will go when I'm ready in my own time, in my own way, and just being prepared to call out yeah. um, the behaviours. So yeah. the beauty of that lesson is that I'm now very likely to be the person in the room who calls out something that everybody can see but don't want to acknowledge. Mm. So the emperor's not wearing any clothes. Yeah. Has anyone noticed that? Because <laughs> Sarah has. Yeah, because I just yeah. noticed he's not wearing any clothes. <laughs> I think that's a really important example because from that experience, now you can call out behaviours that maybe somebody else is sitting in the room mm. and feeling the way you did back then and they yep. need somebody to call it yep. and be that person or yeah. that person that advocates and speaks yeah. out and goes, hey. Not I mean, okay. it's, it doesn't always increase your popularity, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? And yeah. so there will definitely be people that that will rub up the wrong way. Mm. And I guess that's the thing that we all have to just contend with is that not everyone's going to like us. Mm. And for all the people that say to me, gosh, I love how you just get straight to the point. Mm. I love it. There will be other people who go, I don't like that. Mm. Mm. So it's about about finding a tribe, right? Where, yeah. where can you contribute? And then I feel like if you're not being true to yourself and putting what matters to you out there and being staying aligned to that, mm. then there becomes that discontent at the end of the day because you're like, I'm, I'm doing this, but this isn't in line with what I actually believe. Well, interestingly, I find that when I'm trying to be something or someone that I'm not, I get really awkward. Mm. I actually had to ring a guy yesterday who I haven't spoken to for a long time and I always used to feel quite awkward and weird around him because I was trying to be different. Mm. And I have, it's been a long time since I've spoken and I was connecting with somebody else mm. um, where they would have a mutual piece of work they might be interested in. I had to ring him. I, was, I didn't have to. I chose to ring him. And I put the phone down and I went, isn't that interesting? I was still trying to be someone that I wasn't. And how <sighs> awkward did I feel during that conversation? Sometimes there's people that bring it out in you as well. Like you will have certain personalities, you interact with them, you're like, I yeah. don't know why, yeah. but I'm, I'm feeling the need to <laughs> act different to who I am. Yeah. I used to have this GM or this executive that used to do that. He was incredibly good looking, but it wasn't that. It was more that he had this presence in, and he had such this, this very masculine present energy. And for whatever reason, it made me sort of withdraw 
I still to this day couldn't tell you why, but every time I would be a different person. I was like, why? And he'd question me and I couldn't think on my Mm. feet as quick as I'd come back with the answers later. Yeah. But in the moment, Mm. it frazzled me. Yeah. And I think it's also knowing there are going to be different personalities that have that impact on you. Do you know, did you ever unpack why you think that was with that person, why you did feel awkward? Um, not really. I've given it some thought mm. over the years, but I probably don't have enough interaction with them to, know, to yeah. warrant spending too much time <laughs> on it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Other than I'd probably go, look, we are very different people yes. and and probably just we don't quite fit like a hand in a glove <laughs> like you do with some people. And that's why when you said before, people want to do business with people that get it or get yeah. them yeah. and feel seen and yeah. heard, know, like and trust as yeah. well. So obviously when you've got that connection with someone, they're like, I don't care that you don't know everything. Mm. I want you to guide up this project yeah. or process for us yeah. because you get me yeah. or you get us. <laughs> so Tell me about, obviously, you've mentioned you've had three kids and then all this amazing achievements and and work that you've been doing career-wise. Share with me the juggle, Sarah. Ah. What's the secret? Okay, (laughs) I've got a five-year-old and eight-year-old. You know, tell me everything. (laughs) I don't know that there is a secret. Um, Well, uh, no, there, there kind of is actually. So I am no longer partnered with the father of my children. That's not the secret. Um, <laughs> Did you hear that, ladies? Yeah. <laughs> get out there, get your divorce and you'll be a new person. <laughs> um, but I do have a boyfriend and we do live together and mm. it is a relationship that is characterised by a complete absence of gender norms. So mm. there is, uh, and we've, well, we've been together five and a half years, we don't have discussions about who's doing the washing or what needs to be done. Mm. Um, It just, we're both just kind of, we just do it. And there is an absolute equitable distribution of labour. And if one of us is working more and someone else needs to kind of pick up the slack, we do. We don't even talk about it. It doesn't require discussion. And I think that is because he grew up culturally with a very strong matriarchal culture. Mm. And, you know, to him it is the norm mm. that if you see the washing baskets full, you wash. Yeah. So I, I would say that that helps a lot. Yeah. And other than that, I think managing guilt is and recognising that's really unhelpful mm. emotion. And also that the family will mould and adapt around you. Like yeah. I remember just, you know, it's always that thing, oh, I need to exercise more. Well, when am I going to do that? When would I have time to do that? So a number of years ago, I started walking the dog first thing in the morning. And at first I was kind of worried about how is the morning routine going to go if yeah. I'm out walking the dog. And funnily enough, it all just adapted around me. And there was never any question asked about where was I? Why was I walking the dog? Mm. I, it was just, that's my thing. Mm. I walk the dog first thing in the morning and if you want to come, you can come and if you don't want to come, that's fine, but it won't stop me going. I love that. Yeah. And yeah. funnily enough, you know, lunch boxes get made mm. and people go to school and, mm. you know. And look, now I've got a 20 and an 18-year-old and so mm. only one left at home. Mm. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> so, well, I'm nearly there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm straight. I think the division of labour is such an important thing in the household because so my husband grew up with a single mother. It's never been a conversation with us. It just gets done. However, 
have a lot of friends right yeah. now. They're exhausted. Mm. They're burnt out. They're working full time. And they've also doing the, the load of lion's share of the housework yep. and things like that as well. And they're just taking it on and not really questioning it. Mm. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. A lot of that mental burnout that you know, mothers that are working mothers that I've got friends with are experiencing now is yep. because they can't, they're tapped out. They mm. can't do it anymore. Mm. They can't do everything. And I love what you said about the fact it's okay to take time to exercise mm-hmm. for yourself. It's not just okay, it's necessary yep. to take that time. Yes. So in terms of um, you've got the three kids at home and then so you were a single parent for a period of time before mm. you met your partner yeah, as well. Yeah. 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 How yeah. long was that for? Uh, a couple of years and um, had a splash of breast cancer in there as well. Yeah, okay. So that was interesting. Jeez. Like, yeah. And the interesting thing, though, is that I actually found it as a single parent. Mm. I actually found that easier. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. I found that easier because I knew that there was only me. So I didn't have expectations of anybody else that they would help. So I think part of my pain was, and look, this is not to be derogatory about ex-partners or anything, but uh, I think part of my pain was that when you're in a partnership and you're hopeful Mm. that that person will help with the load and they don't, you actually burn more energy being resentful and upset about that. And so in being a single parent going, well, there is only me, what's my plan? How am I going to make this work? Mm. Who do I need to um, call on for help? And you and you do then become better at kind of calling on people and going, I'm in a bind. Can you help pick up mm. kids on Wednesday or whatever that looks like? So, mm. Um, mm. so yeah, I kind of, I don't know. Like I, in some ways I found it um, energising. Mm. Sounds weird, hey? No, <laughs> not at all. I'm, and do you think it's that? Because you remember you talked – before about that independence of thought, mm. you know, independence of thought. Do you in in your own life are you an independent person yourself? Oh or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say because you're like I've got yeah. this, I can yeah. fight this breast and, cancer, and right? that's probably why the relationship I have now really works mm. because he's also a very independent person, mm. and so there are other than a cursory won't be home for dinner on Saturday, just at you make your own plans. There is no consultation about mm. who he's catching up with for lunch or who, like none of that. It's just we've got our own lives mm. and then we have this piece in the middle that's the bit that we share and there's very, very clear demarcation and mm. high levels of independence. Do you think as well, I have a little joke and stay with me, where I'm like, second marriages are the best marriages. <laughs> no, I know this sounds bad because a lot of my team, and I've been married once before, before my husband now, and we have a little joke because a lot of us have been, and you learn a lot through that experience, mm. right? The hard part is so often you get married and you're still growing mm. and learning yourself. Mm. Do you find now going through the first marriage that yep. you know yourself a lot more in the second? Got a couple. <laughs> How many marriages do you have? Oh, no. So one marriage, one long-term relationship. Oh, well, that's so, it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah but, but, you know, each of them 10 years. So Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But same thing almost. Yeah, because yeah. you've got to grow together. I don't know. It's really hard to do when you marry someone before you really know who you are mm. and they might not know who they are yeah, either. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. Like I look at my eldest daughter and she is – 
emotionally mature beyond her years and always has been. Mm. But I look at myself when I was her age and I really, there were some areas of my life where I was really mature and then other areas where I really lacked emotional maturity Mm. and was very idealistic and very Pollyanna about how I thought the world looked or should look. Mm. And uh, so I think I'm a bit of a late bloomer in terms of my ability to know myself and understand the world as it really is, as opposed Mm. to how I thought it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Because you talked before around expectations. And so having expectations in relationships, yes, of course, but having expectations about what you think the world should be is Mm. hard because it just opens you up for disappointment. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, I resonate with that because I was very idealistic as a child as well. It's all going to be great, you yeah. know. If I put positive energy out there and I'm great, I'll get that back. <laughs> it doesn't always work yeah. that way. And, you know, people aren't always that way either. Mm. I mean, I've got a very strong internal compass around justice, always have had. Mm. So I still will struggle if I think something's not right or, mm. like, not just or fair. I will still like these days, I'm, I'm accepting and I understand that, that there's plenty of things that happen yeah. in the world that are not right, nor fair, nor just. I think that that did make some of my 20s and even some of my 30s a bit difficult mm. for me. Mm. Mm. Where do you think you shaped, and I'm interested in this with your growing up and obviously raising children yourself, where do you think those values were shaped? Were they shaped, you, would you say, during your upbringing and childhood or did you always have them? Mm. Do I know the answer to that question? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think they were shaped by my environment Mm. or upbringing Mm. because I, you know, had very emotionally and physically distant parents. So, Mm. so there was not necessarily kind of role modeling. Although I must say, my mother, and she's still alive. She was a person who strove to do the right thing in mm. circumstances, particularly like I remember there was a, a little old man that she kind of knew a little bit through her work mm. and he didn't have family and he ended up having a stroke and and had no next of kin and she became his next of kin wow. and looked after him until yeah. he died a couple of years later. And she did that because if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? Someone has to do it. Someone has yeah. to look after this man. So I think... There's probably some of that I got from her. Yeah. But some of it just has always been, I think it's the way my brain is. Yeah. And, you know, I've got ADHD. I'm pretty open about that. It's yeah. often a trait. Really? That, yes. A high sense of social justice hmm. is often a, a trait that you can see with people who have ADHD. Wow. I have no idea why that is, but. I guess tell us more, you know, and I know there are people that would be listening as well yeah. that have been are going through the journey themselves. Yeah. And I love that you're open about sharing that mm. because I think the more open people are sharing with their own journey, the more it provides somebody else to feel like they're not alone, yep. to feel like, you know what, that person's going through something I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and they're walking the road before me. Yep. So tell us about your journey. You know, how recently did you find out you had ADHD and how's that impacted your yeah. life? So um, I'm not uncommon in mm. that... It hadn't occurred to me that that might be something that was a feature of who I was Mm. until I had two children diagnosed. Yeah, okay. And there, so they both saw a, and still see, a paediatric psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. and he looked at me and said, so, Sarah, you understand that it's as hereditable as height, 
And I said, yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then I started to reflect on that and then went, okay, maybe. And the more I reflected, the more it started to make a lot of sense. And so where I'm at, so my diagnosis was only, so it must be two and a half years ago, two okay. years ago, thereabouts. Yeah. yeah. So relatively recent, mm. but liberating, mm. really liberating. What made it liberating? Well, I got to retell the story of my life and history in a different way that made a lot more sense to me than the version that I had been carrying around for the last 52 years. Wow. Yeah. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And because I've always been someone that wanted, wants to know why. Mm. So, and the other thing was that it gave me insight into what am I navigating on a daily basis mm. and where can I really get the sizzle happening because there are a lot of upsides. Mm. And also, how do I be kind to myself about the moments where I'm not getting it together? Mm. Mm. And I think it's always important to try and as much as you can, try and get a perspective of someone else's shoes. If you're not mm. walking in them, try to be curious sure. and think about what it might be like. What are some of the obstacles you realise that you face with ADHD that other people may not understand? Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, one of them is that I don't really like to sit still. Yeah. That for me movement is really helpful. Mm -hmm. I have mixed type, so inattentive and a little bit of hyperactive, but it's not like I'm running, like my son has mixed type, but his hyperactive is he goes to circus school and flips and does yeah. that all over the house, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think one of the challenges for me is the tendency for directness and that I do a fair bit bit of massaging of how that comes out my mouth mm. and occasionally I won't massage it enough or, <laughs> and something will come out that it really is quite direct and mm. I'll immediately think, oh gosh, what have I done? And that's been, I guess I learned that if I think I've done that, I will go back and check in. Mm. When I said that, did that <laughs> did that cause you to bristle? Because I just it came out my mouth before I realised it did. There's that. There's probably been elements around explaining my career. So my brain is driven by interest, not importance. Mm. And so, and I'm a high variety seeking individual, which comes with the ADHD. So I've had a very non-linear looking career. And a couple of years ago, someone said to me, you know, one of the challenges you'll have, particularly in wanting to work more in the board space, is that your career doesn't look linear. It's anything but. You look like you're here and you've done okay. this and this and this. And he said, and, you know, a lot of boards, like it is changing, but a lot of boards, particularly in at the serious end of town, are looking for people that have had a trajectory through corporate Australia, through a series of roles, yep. made their way to the top, done their MBA. But mine is more blob looking, <laughs> right? And so that has been... The challenge I've had to rise to there is how do I take that career blob and tell the story of it in a way that people can relate to mm. that I do have capability and skills and attributes that are going to be helpful to you. Mm. Because if anything, from my perspective or where I'm sitting, that diversity is great mm. for 
the fact that you've been across mm. different industries, exposed to different areas, and that it isn't linear mm. means that you have a diverse way of thinking about things. Correct. And that because you've sought mm. those different experiences, but it's all how you tell the story, right? right? And if you don't know that about yourself or aren't self-aware, you mm. don't necessarily know mm. that that's what drives you. Yeah. You do know that you're driven by those experiences now. Yeah. 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 And it makes sense. That's right. So with your children as well, managing that, I'm sure a lot of parents are going through that at the moment. Now having it yourself Mm. and then managing it in your children, how do you do that, being conscious of your own situation and also being the best parent you can Mm. for them? I think tolerance and acceptance is probably the biggest thing that I have learned and that accepting my children's description of their perception of the world, Mm. um, I should just accept that without question. So, for example, at my son's school, he decided that he wanted to wear a mask for the whole of last term. There's no mask requirement. He just got a thing in his head around something to do with his face Mm -hmm. and probably pre-diagnosis for him and me, I would have really tried to put a lot of effort into that because that seems odd. Yeah. Why do you want it? You want a series of different um, material masks and you want to wear them to school every day. Like Mm. I'd go, that's odd. That's not normal. And how is that going to work at school? And so rather, I just didn't bother with that. We Mm. just went with it. And then he moved out of that phase. Mm. There will be things where, for example, he will not, absolutely will not go to any school camp. Really? Right? Yep. And yes, I think those would be great opportunities for him, but I don't push that. Mm. I have an understanding of when to try to push him a little bit in his comfort zone. Mm. And sometimes I... Like I hold back and just accept even if I don't understand what's happening in his head. And also that it's not always his role to invite me into his brain so that he can justify why he thinks about a certain thing. Like it's helpful for me to understand how he's thinking about something, Mm. but that can be really tiring Mm. for him and I to Mm. have that discussion. So sometimes I just accept and go, okay, you're not comfortable with that that's fine, what could we do? Mm. And sometimes I'll challenge a bit and go, okay, so like he will not have me at school assembly. Mm. I only do it once a term. He's like, please make sure you're not there. In his mind, it's this something he feels like that would be embarrassing. Yeah. So I just go, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So I think it is acceptance. And I had to go through that because my 18-year-old daughter, well, the beginning of this year, she was still 17. She moved to Melbourne. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I did so, that to my mum. Sorry, mum. Yeah. Yep. So ra- rather than fighting or arguing or mm. needing to unpack that, because the unpacking would have been for my benefit, mm. it was just around acceptance of that and what will our relationship look like going forward because it's going to look different and how do we make the most of that. Mm. And it's great. I mm. get to go to Melbourne and eat yeah. delicious food and spend time with her. And Yeah. Yeah. And this is her life journey now as <laughs> That's well. That's right. You hit something there as a parent, which I think we can all relate to, is especially when our children are so different to us mm. as well, in that we we so often try to control that or understand it for our own benefit yeah. instead of just going, that's who you are and this is how you want to show yeah. up and this is, you know, I might not understand yeah. it, 
but I can support you in it yeah. because it's important to you. Yeah. And if you don't want me at assembly, I would love to be there, of course. Yeah. But if this is something that you feel would be embarrassing, and I don't yeah. want you to feel that way, so I'm going to respect that. And the only things I'll control with my kids is where something could harm them. Yeah. So the amount of junk food you're putting in your mouth, mm. the ratings on the stuff that you're looking at on a screen. Yes. So those things I will control. It's about materiality. Mm. In the big scheme of things, is this if there's no harm going to real harm going to be caused? then, yeah, I relinquish control of those situations. I think so often as parents, we need to actually think about why is this bothering me? Yeah. Is this because this is of a danger to the child? Yeah. Or is this actually something that I'm <laughs> wanting to control in the child, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we yeah, all yeah. have those moments and yeah. hang on, am I being unreasonable here? Yeah. And sometimes you're not. And other times you're like, oh, this is actually, I'm just worried about what other people are going to think yeah. of you wearing that mask. Yeah. Is that a fair reason for me to stop mm-hmm. you from doing it? No. Yeah. Like I've always said to my kids, I don't care what happens in your report card. Mm. I really don't. It's not the predictor of your life success. Mm. And eldest child has absolutely fallen on her feet. 18-year-old had a a moment of looking like she wouldn't and now is. Mm. And who knows what the little guy um, (laughs) is going to (laughs) do. He sounds like fun. Yeah, he is fun. (laughs) But yeah, traditional notions of like badgering at them and you need to study hard and all of that. Mm. Uh, It doesn't mean I wouldn't have a conversation, Mm. but I'm not going to berate or punish my children for not Mm. bringing home amazing grades. Yeah. I know they're smart. I don't need grades to tell me that. And I also don't necessarily think that the education system is not set up on neurodivergent people. So those grades are not going to tell me anything about their intelligence or capability for life success. I love that. Mm. And that gives them the freedom to feel okay and not feel that mm. extra pressure of, I don't, mm. I, you know, I'm not bringing home a great report card. Yep. What's that going to mean? What's mum going to say? Mm. You know, they know that they're supported and that you believe in them, Yeah, which is a huge. I threw my son's NAPLAN results in the bin. Did you? <laughs> 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 and that's just so, you yeah. know, that is daunting for a child, yeah. right, to kind of be benchmarked how they might have done in one exam mm. in one moment. And a lot of children don't like exams. Yeah. Or they get anxi- anxiety yeah. in exams or they can't sit through the exam to complete the exam. So many other things that they've got yep. to try and come up yep. against in that environment. Yep. So mm. when you spoke before around raising your children and I have to say so much of what you spoke about resonated with me around leadership, mm-hmm. right? Being a parent and having to deal with so many changing goalposts, changing things. How has that shaped you as a leader? Oh, you ask the big questions, don't sure you? Do. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> um, I think my leadership style is very much around I'm interested in being the facilitator of someone else's success. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a person that is wanting to put myself front and centre, unless that's part of the job. And mm. I have had jobs where there's been lots of media, and mm. but I'm not doing that because I like to see myself on camera. I'm mm. doing that because I'm interested in the success of that organisation. Mm. I'm very much like that with my children. So what I'm most interested in as a parent is how can I facilitate and enable my children to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Mm. 
and that is the way that I am as a leader as well. Like mm. I'm genuinely and really interested in other people. Mm. I'm really interested in other people's success. I'm fascinated by what people do well mm. and how they can be get better at it. I'm fascinated by how people overcome challenges and mm. kind of get some growth happening. Mm. And I'm fascinated by people's like limiting self-beliefs and I've got to say, I'm also particularly fascinated in all of that stuff in women, um, mm. which doesn't mean I do work with men as well, mm. but I'm happy to be the kind of the force that sits behind mm. people. I think that's a sign of mm. a great leader mm. as well, because how many times have you worked for a leader where ego gets in the way, where if, if they're wanting to look great and it's about them looking great, mm. it can sometimes make you feel small. Yeah. Or smaller, yeah. or that you can't, you know, and that's bullying is, yes, yeah. part of it, but also it's the ego. If yeah. somebody's there for self-driven purposes and they want to look good, it doesn't matter what you do. It's yeah. all The all-in game is going to be them looking good. I definitely don't gravitate to people with massive egos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can relate. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've all got an ego. Yeah. And we can all recognise that there'll be times where we go, oh, I think my, you know, ego's getting in the way of that a little bit. <laughs> um, but in terms of, you know, where it's ego largest, I, I would actually go so far as to say that I'm quite repulsed by it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, would I'm you, honest. Do you come across it a lot in like oh. board roles and things like that though? Like, oh, I think you come across it everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. I think you come across it everywhere. And I mean, and whilst I feel repulsed by it, I'm not, I try hard not to be judgmental of it. Mm. I'm fascinated by it. Mm. So I'm curious and interested in it. Yeah. And sometimes what I see is that someone may on your first meeting with them, have this massive ego and then you can actually get behind that and yeah. go, oh, it's actually someone else sitting in here behind that. Yeah. So, yeah, and look, it's everywhere. Yeah. I'm not very good at playing the game with people with big egos, no. really. And <laughs> for me, sometimes I get curious about where that comes from and, and then chipping away a little bit and then there's some insecurity under there. Mm. And then that's where I can fully really kind of empathise with what that person's, where they're coming from with the ego because sometimes you chip a little away mm. and get to know them and then they drop their guard and you realise that, that they, they may have felt inadequate in their role and they're trying to show bravado because of that mm. or they, they may have lacked confidence and mm. trying to oversell it. So I definitely can resonate there because ego is a hard thing. It's it's annoying. It's mm. just annoying when you're meeting with someone with, it, with an ego as well. It's not a two-way conversation. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it's always... We it's, talked about that before. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me. So I, I think I work very hard like I, um, to get to know people. Mm. who they are. And so, and I have lots of meetings with people I've never met before and mm. I'm genuinely interested mm. in their stories and who they are and and at the same time, so I'm prepared to work hard to, to do that. Yeah. And 95% of the time that's reciprocated. And so you walk away from those exchanges going, this is great. Like yeah. I actually I met someone, I don't know, earlier this week 
where we stood up after an hour and went, I could sit here easily for mm. another hour and just keep talking. Yep. And yet, you know, occasionally you will you actually find yourself looking at your watch yes. and going, oh, and then you walk away going, you know what, I don't think they asked me one thing mm. about myself, mm-hmm. about like there was not one element of curiosity. Yeah about who I was as a person. And then it's kind of like, oh, mental note, Mm. don't invest energy there. Yeah. And those conversations are draining, whereas you walk away with someone that's interested in you and you've you've got that energized, you've got that curiosity about each other. And then there's that opportunity to walk away with learning something from that experience. And you always, no matter who you talk to, there's always something to be learned. Absolutely. Everyone's got a story to tell. So... In your life's work, this is a big one, right? Oh, gosh, and you're hitting me with all the hard ones. <laughs> I promise you, there's rocket round after this. Uh, Stay with me, sorry. Okay. With the work that you've done, you know, in with your beautiful family and also with the work you've been doing at the board level and leadership and yep. coaching, yep. what's the legacy you want to leave in the world? Mm. I want people to feel inspired about themselves and mm. what they can do. Mm. It's, so it's more around... How do I want people to feel yeah. about their time with me? Yeah. I want them to feel inspired, not about me, inspired that they can do a bunch of things, inspired to take action. So that they feel, but yeah. through that meeting and that discovery with yeah. you, that they can uncover what's possible for them. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an amazing legacy. Yeah. yeah. It's so great. And it's there's a selfishness in it. Yeah. Like it's not like I'm this, you know, completely altruistic, person and talk about servant leadership and all of that. It's actually, it's an incredible, incredibly joyful experience to watch somebody Mm. find inspiration and go forth and do amazing things. Like how good is it to watch someone absolutely coming into their own? It feels so good. And if you can go, well, I actually had a part in that, Mm. that feels great. It's it's self-serving as well. It is. You feel good about it. And it fulfills you because you've left an impact on this person's life. But I honestly think, I agree, it's my my favourite part of recruitment. Mm. It's my favourite part of the job is seeing someone come in. A lot of the time you get people that might be broken because they've had poor leaders in the past or, you know, they don't know what they want to do. Maybe they lack confidence and they don't think that they can get the role that they should and do deserve. And I think there's just something special about when you really truly listen to people and what they want and you can help them discover that together it's one of the most rewarding things you can yeah. do. And I think you do that in, obviously you do that in coaching every day mm. um, with different people. I will ask one, yeah. can you think of what you, one of your proudest transformations that you've had or impact that you've had on someone's life where you've it's stuck with you? Yes, I would say it's actually a personal reflection. So yeah. it's a very, very dear friend of mine and, and she's sort of a bit like an adopted sister. My, there have been a couple of, pivotal moments in her life where we've had some pretty direct conversations where I've explored with her some of the whys Mm. and that has led to some big decisions that she's made Mm. in her life that have set her on a, um, a pathway that's inevitably been a lot more beneficial for her. And, um, whilst I just see that as part of being a good friend, but she often brings it up with me. She goes, if you hadn't sat down with me and been honest with me and said, why are you, mm. well, you know, why are you doing this? Mm. Um, she said, I would, I'd still be doing that. 
Isn't that an important thing for us to remember as friends, to call Mm. it out, Mm. to be honest with your friend? You're not being a friend if you know they're in a toxic relationship and you don't say it. You're not being a friend if you know that they are being bullied at work and you don't call it. Correct. And I think that's just what I love about you. That's one of the things that comes through calling it. Yeah, okay, sometimes you've probably got to, you know, try and massage it in certain environments. That's always going to be a thing. But there's such great benefit because Mm. so often people need someone to call it. Mm. They need that person as a friend to go, I'm here for you. I love you. I care for you. Mm. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. And here we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, look, (laughs) thank you so much. I know I asked you the hard questions, but you certainly delivered and I knew you would um, with your answers as well. Uh, We have a bit of a fun round now. Okay, let's go. So easy, rocket (laughs) round, rocket round, um, where we ask a few fun questions just to learn about the funner side of Sarah. Great. Okay, um, so. Hit me. (laughs) Coffee or wine? Coffee. Okay, coffee. Dogs or cats? Mm, Can I say both? Yes, because cats need yeah, a yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say both. And do you have a cat and a dog? Is yeah. that why? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And favourite holiday destination? Oh, anywhere with ocean. Yeah, me too. Anywhere Love the beach. with ocean. And what podcast are you listening to right now? None. None? You don't listen to podcasts? Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. I'll binge them and then nothing for two months. And then, uh, so what did I listen to? I listened to, I don't even know what it was called, but it was, they had Simon Sinek on as a guest. Oh, I, and like I listened Simon. to I listened to it last weekend. Yeah, okay. Something, something about peak performance or ultimate performance or something like that. Okay. Um, someone sent it to me and said, listen to this episode, you'll really like it. And I did. And sometimes you might just listen, if you don't listen to lots of podcasts, you might have, there was this podcast Mel Robbins did with which uh, episode called Let Them. Okay. I share, share it with all my friends right. that worry and try to control other people. Okay. I'm like, listen to this episode of Let right. Them <laughs> and it'll teach you to let other people live yeah. their lives and you'll have less stress. Uh, Favourite book? James and the Giant Peach. Oh, great book. Because I read it when I was a child and it gave me such vivid mental imagery that yes. I can still see those images in my head now. That was one of my favourite books yeah, too. Loved it. James and I like Dr. Seuss. Did you read it to your kids? Uh, yes. And interestingly, it didn't feel as exciting um, <laughs> when I did that. <laughs> it's like that when you also show them a childhood movie that you yeah, thought yeah, was yeah. really good yeah. and you watch it again, you're like, it's probably average, but yeah. I loved it. And what makes you feel like your home? Mm, the people. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and my memory foam rug. <laughs> yeah. What's your memory foam rug? <laughs> so in, in our lounge room, we have a sensory rug. Yeah. Um, oh. Which is really helpful yeah. for my son. And it is a big shaggy rug, but it actually has a big piece of memory foam built into it. Oh. So that when you sit on it or lie on it, it's just like being sucked into it. It's amazing. The cat is a total head case around it. Like he won't walk on it <laughs> or step on it because his paw like squishes into the rug. <laughs> um, but I don't trust that but, rug. But that rug, <laughs> I often sit on it. It feels good. Love it. Yeah. I want a rug now. Yeah. Have you ever tried those? There's also those calming blankets, the weighted blankets. Oh, awful. 
weighted blankets. Dreadful. Are they horrible? I've never well, tried Well, some one. people love them, but no, I can't deal. I'm a bit claustrophobic. So yeah. to me, I'm like, I do not want a blanket holding me in. Can't it sounds deal. terrible. Mm. But I do like the sound of that rug. Yeah. That does sound pretty awesome. There are some awesome weighted stuffed toys. So my son has a big stuffed dog mm. and it is weighted. So you can like put the dog on your chest oh. and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Don't and for kids that. as well, clever, yeah. because that there's that feeling of the toy in there. Yeah. Pressure, yeah. yeah. I like that. Mm. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I loved. I feel like I've loved chatting with you and just exploring. You're just so interesting to speak oh, thank to you, and, 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 <laughs> and honest too. And I really like that because that means people can walk away and feel like they open book. Open always book. have been. Love it. <laughs> um, how can people support and learn more about you? What can we do to direct them to? Do you have a website or follow oh, you? You or? know, I don't have a website, and part of that's been because I'm still evolving mm. and I don't want to commit it to the website, but. That's fine. Find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Stalk me there. Um, <laughs> what you see there is what you get. And, uh, yeah, like if something takes your interest, then, yeah, come find me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in as a guest. So Thank as you. always, if you like the ep- episode, like, subscribe, rate, review, and please connect with Sarah on LinkedIn yeah. because it's always good to, if you got something out of this episode, you can share it with other people. You can also follow Sarah and learn more about what wisdom she's got to offer. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Building Doors. If you've got comments or questions, send them to hello at buildingdoors.com.au. And remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next time.